All right. How you guys doing this morning? Oh, come on, K2. I mean, I woke up last night, and I'm not even making this up. I woke up at 2, 3, 4, and 5 excited about this morning. I felt like my kids on Christmas Eve. So I'm going to ask you again. How you guys doing this morning? There you go. That's a little bit better. My name is Travis Fox, and uh, about eight months ago, uh, six of us moved from Las Vegas, Nevada to, into the city to start a church we call Grace City Church. We call it a Grace City Church because those are our values. We say grace is all about Jesus. That's who we're about unapologetically preaching and showing who Jesus is to this city. We say city, Grace City, because we're here to see this city flourish. We're not here to be against the city or to blend in the sit- with the city, but we're here for the si- city. And that's why we called today's message a church for the city. The last thing is church. We do not believe the church is something we go to. We believe the church is an identity we have in Jesus Christ. That when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he adopted people into his family and made them a body called a church. And so when you hear our name, Grace City Church, what we say is we're all about Jesus for the good of the city by living as a church. And this is something that is in the very DNA of who I am. You see, I didn't come to faith in Christ until about 15 years old. I grew up in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. I am a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Is there anyone in here that's a Kentucky Wildcat fan? One person, right on, two. They call us the Big Blue Nation because Kentucky fans are everywhere. But anyway, I grew up in Kentucky and I, went, I grew up in a family that was religious, but they, didn't really, they weren't really devoted to Christ. We would go to church on Sunday. We would go to church every so often on the holidays. And no, I'm even making this up. I can remember my father literally having to drag me off doorposts or door frames to get me into the car to go to church. And I would sit there and I wanted nothing to do with it. And the one thing that was so fascinating about my family is the thing that happened on Sunday didn't really take place during the week. You see, we were one of those weekend church going type people. And it just became more of a ritual, more of a religion rather than a relationship. And God in his grace sent this kid into my neighborhood by the name of Mike. The way I met Mike is I was about ready to get beat up because I had an ice cream in my hand. And Mike out of nowhere came behind, from behind me and he stuck up for me. And I was like, we're going to be friends the rest of our life, and we still are. And Mike would every single weekend invite me to his church. He never gave up. Now, I could tell you how many hundreds of times Mike would invite me to his church. Well, one day in middle school, Mike got smart, and he looked at me. He said, hey, Travis, you like basketball, don't you? I said, yes, I do. He goes, they play basketball at this church on Friday night. I said, well, that's interesting. He goes, hey, Travis, you like pizza, right? I said, yes, I like pizza. He goes, they also eat pizza on Friday night at this church. And then he looked at me, he goes, you know that girl in your school you like? I said, yes. He goes, she goes to that church. I said, I'm in, man. I'll go listen to somebody talk for a while if I can sit next to her. And so I started going to church on Friday. Every single Friday, Mike would take me to this outreach event on Friday night in this youth group. Eventually started dating the girl, eating the pizza, having fun. But my dad was a little like wigged out about what was going on. Remember, he had to pry me off the doorframe to get me into the car. And now I'm just going to church for my own reasons. Now, I didn't tell my father I went to church because of a girl, okay? I wasn't going to tell him that. So dad started taking us on Sunday mornings to this church because he wanted to make sure I didn't join something kind of shady. And the next thing I know, my father is sitting in the main auditorium. He takes me from this Friday thing and puts me in this Sunday morning thing, which at the time was really lame because no one talked to me. And by this time, we started going on Sunday. The girl broke up with me because I wasn't a Christian and that really ticked me off. And so all my reasons for going to church were gone. And my dad would sit in the main auditorium and he'd listen to Pastor Bob preach the gospel. 
every single week. And the next thing I know, I watched as my father got baptized in a pond in Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky. And when he got up out of the water, he went and he baptized my mother and both of them received Christ. And I can remember at 15 years old, looking at my parents going, I cannot believe you did that. I heard the words, baptized in the name of Jesus, who is Lord and Savior. And most of my life, I've been trying to be my own Lord. And I could not believe what they did. But something happened in my father's life that just totally impacted me as I saw my dad begin to share Christ and show Christ with the people around him. He worked at a car dealership and I had the, uh, I would call it a privilege now of working with him. And every single day, I couldn't tell you how many times I heard my father share Jesus with somebody that was either a customer or an employee. As we got older, he got onto a snap-on truck. And I remember he, he just looks for any opportunity possible to be able to tell somebody about Christ. And he had a guy on his truck because he was selling tools. And the guy came up to him and said, man, there's nothing in this world for free. And he goes, well, not exactly. That's so cheesy. Jesus is free. And he started sharing Jesus with this guy. I mean, that's just who the man is. But my dad not only shared Christ with people, he also showed Christ and he would drag his kids along as he would go into the inner city and he would serve and he would show who Jesus is. I can remember we went to the Portland Christian Mission and I was, I was like, uh, uh, high school kid and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to these kids about basketball. My parents are serving food. And the next thing I know, my dad and my mom start sitting around tables and start telling these kids about Christ. You see, God was after me. Not only at this point in my life do I have Mike telling me about the gospel, but I have a guy in my own house telling me about Jesus. I cannot get away from him. And when I was 15 years old, our church decided to take about 50 high schoolers to Colorado on a camp. And dad decided he was going to go as a volunteer leader. And I'll never forget. I mean, he rocks the socks with the sandals. You know what I'm saying? His toe goes in between his socks. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? And he gets on the bus. And immediately, I was kind of forced on the bus. I start gravitating towards those kids that don't really want to be there. But I watch as my father becomes one of the most popular guys on the bus as people start coming towards him and talking to him. And I went to this camp, and I had the same three objectives, except they didn't have very good pizza, basketball and a girl, <laughs> And about Thursday of that week, my dad noticed that I was not receiving any of the messages that took place ever, uh, during the nightly worship sessions. And so he called me into his, uh, his dorm room. He sat me down and my dad, he doesn't cry. And with tears pouring down his cheeks, he shared with me about who Jesus is, how Jesus lived the life I was meant to live, how Jesus died the death I was meant to die, conquering Satan, sin, and death for me, and that if I just trust in him, I can have this fulfilled life now and for eternity. Now, he didn't say it that cleanly, but that's essentially what he said. And I don't know what happened in that moment. It was one of the most scary things in my life as I felt my heart open up and drawn towards the words my father was sharing with me. And my dad looks at me, he goes, Travis, do you want to receive Jesus? And I looked back at my dad at 15 years old and I said, yes, I do. And then my father looked at me and he goes, hey, Pastor Bob's on this tri trip. Make sure you go down the hallway and make sure I said everything right. And so my dad, he goes, that's great. You, you accepted Christ. Now go find out if you did it right. And so I go down the hallway and I go into Bob's room and I go, hey, Bob, I've received Christ in my life. And Bob goes, that's great. He goes, tonight they're going to do uh, an invitation. And when they do that invitation, I want you to go forward. And so I remember the guy named Mike, he was preaching. 
he does an invitation and I get up and I start walking down this aisle at this big conference with about six or about a thousand uh, high school students. And as I'm walking down, I'm getting rained on because my father's behind me just crying over top of me all the way down. The moment I became a Christian, I didn't know any different than to share my faith. I didn't know any different than to go out and start serving people. Why? Because it's in the very DNA of who my dad is. It's in the very DNA of who my mother is. And all of a sudden, as God started to work in my heart at 19 years old, he called me into the ministry. And as he called me into the ministry, I became an intern at this church in which Pastor Bob uh, was the pastor. And he took us on a leadership trip to Chicago and he sat us down, a group of college students, he sat, sat us down at a table and he looked at us and he said, which one of you is going to plan a church one day? And I remember thinking, I have no clue what he just said to me. I'm from Kentucky, okay? They plant stuff there. I never even thought about how does a church come into existence? Never even crossed my mind. And I'm sitting there looking at him and he begins to share the story of how he started Northeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, 25 years before that. And as I was sitting there, I remember thinking to myself, if God didn't lead Pastor Bob to start Northeast Christian Church, my dad may have never heard the gospel and my dad may have never shared it with me. And not only that, but once I got saved and once my father got saved, my mother got saved, we went after our family. I watched as my cousin Brent, Blair, and Brad got baptized into Christ. I watched my aunt Susan. I watched my uncle Daryl. I saw my other cousins get baptized. Some of them still involved in this church to this day. And it's in that moment, I can agree with what Peter Ragner said, that church planning is the greatest evangelistic tool God has given us. How do I know that? Because I am a product of a church plant on mission for the good of the city and to make disciples. You see, every single church that exists in, the, in this city and in the world has a mission. All of us in this room are called to go and do what? To make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything Jesus commanded. And what did Jesus say? I'll be with you. To the very end of the age. To the very end of the age. You see, Jesus calls us to obey everything he commanded. Jesus not only told us to share the gospel with our words, but also with our actions. And I believe we live in a culture that lives by a lot of Christian sayings that have no biblical warrant. One of those sayings is this, and you may have heard it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Some of us have heard that. Some of us have lived that. And though it sounds true, it is not. You see, the Bible does not tell us that we can show people, serve people into the kingdom of God. A matter of fact, Romans 10, 14 says that faith comes by what? By hearing. And I understand what that verse is, or what that saying is trying to talk about when it says preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I understand what they're trying to say because for years, the church has neglected serving the physical needs of a city. But what we gotta be careful of is not just focusing on the physical needs of the city and not serving the city by speaking the gospel audibly through words into people's lives. When we were in Las Vegas, because I was there for about 10 years, uh, we, we started a church there called The Core. 
And one of the things we were about was doing this thing of blessing the city through both word and action. And we went down into a certain part of the city that was known as a rougher area. And we went down there and we started handing out light bulbs and batteries, just practical ways to serve people. We'd go around and we'd hand batteries out for the smoke detectors and light bulbs for lamps. And being a children's pastor for a number of years, because I was a children's pastor in Las Vegas, one of my things was that every kid is able to be on mission for Christ. It's not like when a child comes to Christ, they get a happy meal size of the spirit. You know what I'm saying? And then adults get the super size, the big gulp. It's not like that. They get the spirit as well. Now, my son, he wasn't a Christian. He was about a year and a half at the time. But we strapped him onto the front of my wife who was carrying him around. We went down into the city and we just started serving. That's what we did. And so we're handing out light bulbs. We're handing out batteries. When all of a sudden I see this dude start walking up to us. And he comes up to me and I can just tell by the way he's walking, there's something not right. And so like any normal guy who's got his kid down here with his wife, I step between him and I go, can I help you? And he looks at us, he goes, what are you doing in my city? And I said, well, we're down here, we're serving, we're handing out light bulbs and batteries. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, what are you doing out down in my city with that kid? And he pointed at my son and he looked at us, he said, nobody brings their kid down in this neighborhood unless they're up to something good. You tell me, what are you doing in my city? And so we looked at this guy and we shared about how we're down here serving people in a practical way, light bulbs and batteries, but we also shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that, this guy started tearing up and he looks back at us and he starts crying. He goes, man, I know about this Jesus. And then he picks up his, like pulls up his shirt. He goes, look, I got shot here, here, and here. And he goes, Jesus saved me. I know about this. And he falls on the ground and he starts repenting out loud, crying on the ground. And my buddy who was with me, Brian, looked at him and goes, hey, man, it's okay to cry. And he jumps up and he goes, I'm not crying. I'm like, Brian, this guy's not crying. He took three bullets. He's still around. He's not crying. And, and he looks at me and he goes, you know what? He goes, I know about this Jesus. I need to start following this Jesus again. I've got money for these resources. I don't need them. And I said, here's what you need to do. Just take them to somebody you know and give it to them. And that's what this man did. He went over and I watched him knock on a door, hand the light bulb and batteries to this mom and begin to share with her the story of Christ that we shared with him. You see, what brought him over to talk to us was our deeds, but it gave us an opportunity to share who Christ is. And in Acts chapter eight, we see one of the best stories, one of the best ways to illustrate a church for the city in the life of a guy by the name of Philip. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. Let's check this out. It says this, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, when you first read that and you don't know the backstory, you feel like you walked right into the middle of a movie. It's like you walked in, the previews are over, and they've already done the introduction, and you don't know anything that's going on. But what's going on here is the church was commissioned in Acts chapter 1 to do what? To wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and to be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what ended up happening is the church, instead of going out on mission to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, they stayed in Jerusalem. And as they stayed in Jerusalem, they began to grow. But something happened. 
the religious leaders didn't really like the message in which they were sharing. And so there was this guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen, what he did is he went around preaching the gospel, but some religious leaders didn't really like what he was talking about. And so they called him in and they put him before him and they began to put him on trial saying, what are you teaching? Why are you doing this? And with that, Stephen begins to share the gospel with these religious leaders. As a matter of fact, he, he begins to kind of go at him a little bit when he calls them. He says, you're uncircumcised, which is a big deal back then, okay? Uh, because the Jewish law said that you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And he looks at him, and he goes, you're not circumcised. You don't obey the law. As a matter of fact, your forefathers killed the prophets. And as a matter of fact, you guys killed Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's sitting there accusing me, coming at me, I'm not going to take too kindly to that, are you? Probably not. And so what ends up happening is they call Stephen in. And they begin to close their ears because they don't like what he's saying. And then they kill him. They take a bunch of rocks and they throw these rocks at Stephen and they start to stone him to death. And listen to what Stephen says as he's dying. He's, and they were stoning Stephen. He called out to them, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound like somebody you might've heard about? Isn't that what Christ said on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it says there that Stephen fell asleep, which means he died. And it says that there's this man here by the name of Saul who approved of his execution. You see, these men, they had taken their, their robes off and they had thrown them at the feet of uh, Saul. And Saul basically washed their clothes as they wound up rocks. And they killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to die for his faith. What would you do if you're in that situation? One of the prominent men in your church is killed. He's killed for sharing the gospel. What would you do? Instinctively, I think some of us would run and hide. I think some of us would move away. Some of us would try to get out of here. But watch what this church does when they feel persecution. It goes on, it says, and on that day there arose a great persecution and the church in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Where did Jesus tell them to go? Judea and Samaria. But listen to who didn't go, except the who? The apostles. Who were the ones that didn't go? It was Peter, James, and John, the, or the, the church apostles, the leaders. They didn't go. Who went? The church. This is why we say the church is a people, not a building. Who was scattered about? Not walls, not bricks, not dirt. People were scattered about. And what did they do? They started sharing the message. Sharing the message wherever they went. They didn't stay quiet. And K2, we've got to understand as a church here, Grace City Church, my church has got to understand that the goal, the mission of sharing Jesus with a city is not dependent solely on Dave. It's not dependent solely on me. It's not solely dependent upon Mike. That K2, you as a church are called to share Christ with this city, but not just with this city, but with the Western United States and the world. You are given a message and a mission to live. Jesus did not save you to put you on a bench or to put you in a trophy case. Jesus saved you to give you a life to live and a mission to follow. 
And that mission is take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. What would have happened if these, if, if these people, as they're scattered, they quit talking? What would have happened? K2 would not exist. If you think about that, you think about if they just stopped talking, what would happen? We would not be sitting here. That K2, Gray City Church, is a product, is the fruit of what these people did as they boldly went everywhere sharing who Christ is. And the church kept expanding. You see, one of the things that people tend to think is that if you kill the leader, I guess back in this time, if you take out the leader, everybody else will fall away. But one amazing story is in 1949 in China, when communism took over China, and they pulled out all the Christian missionaries, the Christian world went, China is lost. Nobody is going to hear about Christ in China. But listen to what happened. That as they pulled the leaders out, the church scattered. And since that time, Christianity has grown 30 to 40% in China. It's one of the fastest growing areas for the gospel in the world. They took the leaders out. And what did the church keep doing? Living on mission. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand that living on mission is not always going to be easy. It's not always easy to tell somebody about Christ. As a matter of fact, some of the places we may be called to go as a church and as a community of faith could be to some of the most dangerous, hard places in the world to reach. I can remember reading this story about a guy by the name of John Patton. He was called to the New Hebride Islands. The only problem was this island was full of people who spoke a different language, but this island was also full of people who were cannibals. They would eat people, okay? Just look down upon in many societies, if you've seen Willy Wonka. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> there was a seminary professor that came up to him and he said, John, you are leaving certainty for uncertainty, leaving the work of God. There was a deacon in his church, a servant in his church who came up to him and said, the cannibals, you, John, will be eaten by cannibals. And listen to how John replies to him. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen redeemer, Jesus. That's gold, man. That's like, boom. And I mean, listen to him. He's going, it doesn't matter what's gonna happen to my life. Mr. Dixon, you're gonna get eaten by worms. I may get eaten by people, but at the end, we're gonna rise the same. And listen to what happened to this man. It was not easy for him. His wife actually died giving birth to his, his child. And he's on this island. He buries his wife and his child. And the this te- this, this story tells us that he laid on their grave, guys, for three days. Why is he laying on their grave for three days? Because he didn't want anybody digging them up and taking them and eating them. It says John died 35 years later. And in a miraculous move of the spirit, John said he could not remember one person who had not professed faith in Jesus Christ. This guy gave it all up. And at the very end of his life, he could not 
remember one person who at least did not come to know or at least confess Jesus Christ. It says one night, uh, the village chief came up to him uh, when he was alive and he said, hey, John, I need to ask you a question. When you first got here, who was that army that guarded your hut each evening? John could only conclude that God sent angels to preserve his gospel witness because he was the only one on the island. There's another story about two, bo- two guys by the name of John Dober and David Nitchum. They were sitting in church one Sunday and they heard the story about a group of, uh, a group of slaves in the West Indy Islands that had no access to the gospel. They had never heard about Jesus. And so as John and David were sitting there, as the pastor was preaching and sharing the story, they got so convicted by how these people had no access to who Jesus is. And so what they did is they did something radical. They committed their lives forever to these people by hiring and selling themselves out as slaves. And these two men, they went to the boat and as they're getting on the boat to travel with these slaves to this island and their friends and family are gathered around. One of them, put his arm up in the air and he screamed out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May Jesus who died on the cross receive his reward and that is the adoption of sons and daughters from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And they went away. One of the biggest deterrents to the gospel advancing, in my opinion, and I see this in the book of Acts, one of the biggest things that holds the gospel back from advancing in a city is not persecution, but comfort that we are less likely to talk about Jesus, share Christ when it's comfortable to do so. Yet what we see in the text here is that when persecution comes, that is directly from Satan himself. And Satan thinks he's gonna annihilate this church, but just like wind on a fire, instead of annihilating the church, the church advances and it keeps going and starts doing exactly what Jesus called it to do, to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. You see, Satan cannot deter or stop the church from advancing. He cannot do it. Why? Because Jesus is greater than Satan. And he's gonna make the church keep going as he empowers people who are changed. And they're emboldened. And they've got the spirit of God inside them. They can't help but to do what John and David and John did. And that is share Christ no matter what the personal cost is. But we also see that the church went out and started sharing the Christ through words, but they also are sharing Jesus through words, but they also shared Christ through their actions. Listen to what it talks about here. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and uh, and proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You see, Philip went down into Samaria, and we gotta understand the context of this to understand how big of a deal this is. Philip, as he is scattered, as he is launched out of Jerusalem because this persecution is coming, he doesn't go to the people he likes. 
He doesn't go to the people that he's buddy-buddy with. He actually goes to the people that he's prejudiced against. Because if you know anything about Samaritans and Jewish people within this culture, they didn't like each other. As a matter of fact, when Jesus in John chapter four is at the well with a woman from Samaria, she asked, why are you talking to a Samaritan? They don't like each other at all. They considered them, basically Jews considered Samaritans kind of like half-breeds. They, they, they were uh, uh, marrying other people from other nations. But not only that, they considered them heretics that they worshiped in a false way. And what Philip does is instead of going to the people that he thinks, oh, I, I'll get along with these people, he went to the very people that were socially unacceptable to go to. And what does he do there? He proclaims the Christ. But listen to what else he does. He starts healing their sickness and disease. Tim Keller writes this. He goes, these statements are so simple that we may overlook the wisdom herein. The only way we will see a movement of God that lifts our whole city is if there is a combination of word and deed. We must not be too distracted by the fact that Philip's deed ministry was miraculous. The fact was that Philip saw physical misery around him and he worked on it. He cast out demons. The crowds flocked to him to do what? To listen to the preaching. In the same way, the people of a city need to see a... Christians having compassion on the physically suffering, the poor, the dying, the orphan, etc. And they need to see, B, the changed lives of people who through Christ have been delivered from psychological and spiritual bondage. They will listen to the gospel in mass. One of the things that should never be amongst the church is a church that is divided because of prejudice that one of the things we've got to see that Christ came to do, and I've already said it probably five times now, is Christ came to save what? A people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In Galatians 3, it says that in Christ, there is no slave or free, Greek or Jew, male or female, but all are what? One in Christ. In Revelation five times, it talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. So I got a question. If we can't do that down here, do you think we're gonna really enjoy it up there? Because in heaven, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be proclaiming Christ. One of the things that bothered me, and I've been praying about and praying against, is after our recent election, the Salt Lake Tribune on uh, November 17th put out an article that said that the state of Utah sent out the fourth most racist tweets after the election, only behind Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. Just let that sit there for a second. That should not be at all within K2 or Grace City Church. That Christ came to save all, win all. We don't get to pick and choose who Christ comes to save, but we do get to choose how we're gonna react to him. And Christ tells us there are brothers and sisters. One of the first people I met one of the first persons I met in, uh, in Utah was down at Liberty Park. I was pushing my daughter on a swing and I was talking to this man next to me who was pushing his kid on a swing. And I said, where are you from? And he said, Africa. And I went, that's amazing. I said, what brought you here? He goes, I'm a refugee. And he started sharing his story with me. The school that my mom teaches in has 19 different languages represented. That is beautiful to me. Here's the deal. 
Listen, K2, listen, listen. The nations are here. They're your neighbors. They go to your kid's school. They may work with you. The nations are here. And we are called to take the gospel to them. And how did Philip do that? By word and by deed. He took care of the physically suffering. He took care of those who were lonely. But he also preached who Jesus is. A church for the city is all about preaching who Jesus is and serving the city. It's a both and. We cannot neglect either one. One of the most uh, fun things about our short time here in in Salt Lake so far is we had a team of students, high school students that came up from Las Vegas to Salt Lake City. And they, uh, they just helped us serve the city. We called the city and said, what do you guys need? And they said, well, we've got this area that needs to be remulched. Now it was about 95 degrees or something that day. It was really hot, but to Vegas kids, they're used to 110, 115. So they were forward, okay? And so we go down into the city and we had about 18 high school students and they did an amazing job re, like doing community transformation work, just remodeling this area with, uh, with mulch. And they were excited, they were laughing, they were having fun. And then my buddy Brian pulled his truck into a spot that he probably shouldn't have because he was bringing some uh, shovels out to help move stuff around. Well, we're sitting there and we're working on all this stuff when all of a sudden a police officer rolls up and goes up to Brian's truck. And I yelled out, Brian, bro, you gotta move your truck. You're gonna get a ticket. This is terrible. I'm like, oh, great. We're gonna get a ticket. We're serving the city. It's gonna be weird. And, and so... The police officer gets out of the car and she walks up to these group of high school students and she goes, what are you doing? I remember this one little kid, you know, you got that one kid that's like real smart and he's like, duh. He just starts rambling off just this eloquent thing of what they're doing to serve the city, to bring it to come no crime. I mean, he's just beautiful. I was like, that was golden, bro. Good. The police officer says, I'm not gonna take off my glasses because I'm crying. She said, I had never seen anyone do something like this in this part of the city. And she goes, I'm in awe that a group of high school students would take a part of their summer vacation to come up and to serve the area I drive around every day. And through that conversation, we were able to explain to her, just like this young man, who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he's put a passion within us, a passion within us to be a church for the city. That's what a church for the city does. A church for the city doesn't just have a megaphone yelling about who Jesus is. A church for a city doesn't just have their hands dirty. A church for the city has the both and that we are sharing Christ with our mouths and we're sharing and showing who Jesus is with our hands. And the thing that I'm concerned about in my last 42 seconds (laughs) is that some of you may walk out of here feeling guilty. That is not the goal. The goal is not for you to walk out of here feeling guilty, but the goal is for you to walk out of here treasuring and savoring Jesus more. Because why did Philip do what he did? Because he knew who Jesus was. You see, Jesus is the greater Philip. Where did Philip go? To Samaria, a people he despised. Who did Jesus go to? A people he knew would reject him a people he knew would despise him, a people he knew would put him up on a cross. And what did he do that for? Because he loves you. You wanna know if God loves you? Look to the cross. 
He loves you. And what Romans tells us, Romans tells us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says, while we were rebels, dead, rebellious rebels, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you because you were all that. Christ died for you because he loved you. You see, if Christ died for you because of something good within you, that would be the most evil thing for Christ to do. Why? Because what are you focusing on your whole life? That one good thing within you. If you lose that one good thing, what's gonna happen? You're gonna lose Christ. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Christ died for you, rose from the grave for you to redeem you, to make you a beloved son or daughter of God. And he loves you so much, he wants you to join in on this mission to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what it's about. It's about knowing Jesus more and loving Jesus better and following the way of Jesus and joining in and watching him as he uses you in an amazing way to make much of him in this city and this nation and this world. K2, you're already a church for the city. I don't feel like I have to even tell you this again because I've heard about what you're doing. All I wanna do is encourage you, keep being a church for the city. Share Christ with your words and with your actions. Let's pray. God, you are good. And I thank you so much for the text, for the scriptures and the passion you put within this church to be, make much of Jesus in this city. And so God, I just pray for K2 that you just keep blowing, just keep blowing the spirit within this church to spread the gospel throughout the city and the nations and the world. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.